You're, You're listening, listening to, to the Mumbrella Cast. The Mumbrella Cast. Welcome to the Mumbrella Cast. I'm Damien Francis, and joining me to break down the week in media and marketing is our editor at large and the proprietor of Unmade.media, Tim Burrows. Hello, Damien. Xander Wilson. Hey, Damo. And on production duties, Callum Jaspin. Hello. Later in the Mumbrella cast, Xander will be talking to Gemma Enright, General Manager of City of Sydney at QMS, about dealing with the COVID-enforced delays to the rollout of the new City of Sydney infrastructure. The market has been incredibly um, gracious uh, in their understanding of the kind of conditions that, that we're facing at the moment and why some of those delays have happened. The highly digitised nature of the new offering for advertisers. There will be 10 times the digital in this network than there was before. And importantly, we are bringing digital to uh, the whole geography of City of Sydney, not just the 2000 postcode. And the vast array of brands looking to get in on the ground floor as City of Sydney launch partners. From the finance to the uh, automotive category, from the FMCG category, certainly the streaming and entertainment um, category has been really uh, keen to have a look at this. But first, the week's topics. The team breaks down Nine's 2022 upfront virtual presentation and... Commercial Radio Australia and GFK overhaul the Metro rating system to a hybrid methodology. On Wednesday afternoon, Nine became the first major media company to present its upfronts for the year ahead. During the presentation, Nine's upcoming slate of TV shows were highlighted as well as playing up the 8,000 hours of sporting content across Nine's channels and stand sport that's coming. Like last year, there was also a focus on technology, particularly Nine Galaxy moving to a CPM model and being available soon for regional TV. And radio got a big mention as well, with Nine's managing director of radio, Tom Malone, declaring the era of radio being defined by a dial with AM or FM is long gone. Xander, key announcements from Australia's media company. Yeah, so there's a lot to dig into uh, there, obviously. I guess probably best to start with the content slate. Um, there were a few surprises with some pretty strong performers like Marriott at First Sight, Lego Masters, Celebrity Apprentice, and The Block all renewed for another season. Uh, the Block is going to regional Victoria, so it'll be out in the country for the first time. So I presume that's interesting to someone, uh, but it'll pretty much be more of the same, I imagine. And, and it does have a strong and loyal audience that, as we've seen in the recent Total TV reports that have started coming out recently, are consuming that show in good numbers on BVOD after the fact. Beauty and the Geek is back, despite hardly setting the ratings on fire this year. And Love Island will return later in 2021 as well. And so on to the new stuff. There'll be three new shows all airing before 2021 is even out. Uh, with With no cooking format on its slate so far this year, Nine welcomes Snack Masters later in 2021, which will be hosted by Scott Pickett and MasterChef Season 1 runner up Po Ling Yao. The format will see highly awarded chefs go head-to-head to recreate famous Australian snacks. Another new format that's coming to screens later in 2021 is Parental Guidance, a show that sets out to discover what Australia's best parenting style is. I'm sure you'll have something to say on that, Damo. I've got nothing to and, say on that. <laughs> and the nothing. Blocks judge, Shayna Blaze, is getting her own new show too, and she'll host Country Home Rescue. So all three of those 
will be on before 2021 is even over. And then looking into next year, the one new format that stands out for me is buying Byron. Interesting to see Nine sort of enter this space after Amazon Prime launched a quite successful show, Lux Listing Sydney, this year. Um, We've seen some long-running and well-watched formats like Million Dollar Listing and Selling Sunset running in the US since the 2000s and and airing over here as well. Um, I'm not sure if if you, Tim, or or Damo can tell me whether a format like this has been tried in Australia before, but maybe we can dive into that a bit later. Yes, certainly not that I can think of on the main channels. Yeah, fair enough. It would be interesting to see how that one goes. Um, And just before we get to the end of content, there are a few sporting announcements too. Nine announced it had secured the rights to the US Open and therefore has now completed the tennis grand slam of broadcast rights across the US, French (laughs) and Australian Opens and Wimbledon. And Nine's uh, state of originality advertising contest will return to next year. So that was the content slate. The other really interesting stuff came for marketers and, and a few things that Damo has already mentioned there. Uh, Tim and I were on the media call with Nine sales head Michael Stevenson ahead of the upfront. So we've had a bit of time to get our heads around uh, this push towards a CPM-based trading model for TV campaigns purchased through Nine Galaxy. Nine Galaxy, be, of course, being Nine's automated buying platform launched in 2017. And the media company will now offer its off peak and multi channel inventory in the same way that digital media is currently bought across Nine now against an agreed CPM. So, what does that mean exactly? Well, the change comes as part of Nine now really pushing marketers away from buying based on an agreed upon rate card instead of using the cost per thousand system that's used for digital buying and, and that will be available to buyers through Nine Galaxy. As Damien already mentioned, uh, media agencies will be able to buy across regional TV as well, across Win. Um, and as part of today's announcements, Nine also revealed that the sales team at Win. Uh, which it recently renewed its regional affiliation with, will be integrated into Nine as well. Tim, you've been through one or two of these upfronts uh, before. A big focus on tech again, uh, a lot of familiar names in the program lineup uh, as well. Is this enough to keep Nine front of mind for buyers? Yeah, I suppose a couple of things on the sort of evolution of of the upfronts as a concept certainly over the last few years is you know it really used to very much be first and foremost the tv networks saying what they were going to put on air next year and then of course a television has evolved and b nine as an organization has evolved so it's a lot more of a multimedia company now not just television so it felt that i mean Obviously, those events have always been aimed at the media agencies and marketers. You know, they're the people who get invited. But it feels as much as anything, this is about just sending that signal that, um, what's a good way of putting it? There used to be the phrase, nobody ever got fired for choosing IBM. In other words, they take the risk out. And it feels like the kind of the Salesforce announcement alongside what was previously the Adobe one, it very much speaks to marketers who've got big, uh, tech stacks who want to be quite sophisticated in their marketing that nine is on the journey so that that felt like the single biggest message i think and it's really interesting that you know effectively it's a a martech announcement is right at the right at the heart of it um i think um uh, xander explained it really well you know one of the things to bear in mind about this kind of you know sort of move to the cpm um system is it's worth emphasizing this is not programmatic bidding which was you know my initial 
um, sort of misunderstanding of it, I suppose. So it's not as if the CPM can be driven down to the lowest price, like it it has been in publishing. You know, programmatic has really been the enemy of the publishing industry. So there will still have to be a negotiation, but it just means there's a lot more automation to it, particularly to the less glamorous slots. You know, the the, the negotiations and the high impact stuff is going to be about prime time on the main channel. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because it sounds like uh, Nine's chief sales officer, Michael Stevenson, is really doing a big push on this one and doesn't necessarily consider the current levels of use uh, high enough. I, I think he was quoted uh, as saying that it's around 40% at the moment and he, he really wants it to be up near the 60 70% usage for, uh, for Galaxy do you think that um, do you think there's a hold up in with the buyers side or do do does nine have to offer something different there's a fairly big gap there between 40% and, and 60 and 70% i mean i must admit i was i guess i was almost surprised how quickly it's gone because it's really only been 2 years since galaxy's been around you know, and let's remember two years ago, Nine were actually offering Galaxy up as an industry-wide platform potentially, you know, to be bought, which obviously the other networks didn't accept the invitation of doing their own things. Um, so, look, I mean, that's, you know, if you look at the decades gone by, that's been a pretty radical change in how TV is 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 bought and sold already. So, so yeah, you know, there's definitely some momentum there. And, yeah, you, you you know, he talked about, you know, likely to get to the point where 70% of TV is bought that way. Um, but no, I, no, honestly, no, I don't, I, I don't think it's been slow. No, I do. I, 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 I actually think that's been a pretty rapid move, which probably speaks to the appetite of the media agencies to go that way because it can save them, um, save them a lot of resource as well. Yeah, and just something that I realised I, I probably didn't mention yesterday when, Tim, you and I were on that call, um, I can't remember, one of the journalists did ask why it is the case that that the rate cards will still remain the way of buying ads on primetime on Nine's primary channel. And, and, and Stevenson said that that's because that's how the agencies still want to buy. Um, so I don't know if that's possibly an answer to your question as well, Damien, that, that you know, it is still something that people are getting used to. As Tim, you mentioned there, that it's still pretty new. Uh, it'll be interesting to see whether once they hit those uh, percentage rates, the 60 70% on the multi-channel and off-peak, that they'll then really start to push advertisers to, to use Galaxy for prime time as well. And then you wonder what the point of media agencies is at that point. Coming up in next week's Mumbrella Cast episode, uh, as you mentioned, Tim, TV Upfront, T- I say TV Upfronts, uh, usually known for the TV show uh, announcements. So just quickly, I might start, Xander, with you first. Any of those shows there that particularly caught your interest? Um, as I mentioned there, I, I thought it was interesting. A couple of things that Nine was, I guess, doing is they're filling their slates with or adding, adding to their slates with programming that has been quite popular but not necessarily on Nine. So the first example of that is, you know, 
moving back into having cooking shows with snack masters they haven't had a, a cooking show on so far this year so that'll be interesting to see how that goes and 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 i think you know getting poe to host that is a pretty good get um she's a very famous name she's really synonymous with that first season of master chef and and you know has obviously become a successful business person as well and is sort of synonymous with those early days of master chef where where you know everyone really loved it and before there was you know n- not everyone was into it and, and then the other one that i did also mention as well is is buying byron uh, uh as tim you mentioned there you know a network hasn't really taken on a format like this they haven't had a, had a crack at, at doing a real estate format like this and 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 seeing just how popular lux listing sydney was on amazon prime this year I'm not surprised that they're going down this track. I think Byron is an interesting place to be doing it because, you know, it's been in the news for a variety of things over the last 12 months. But I would say that those two new programs will be definitely ones to watch uh, as they come on. And the other thing I suppose to think about is you could argue the block it is kind of the the original real estate show in that always has finished with an auction. Um, and interesting, it's coming back because it looked certainly early this year as if it was stuttering a bit, but then found its ground and then then going for the uh, the tree change theme this year. And there's just one other show I would point to, which I found buried deep, deep within the announcement. Don't think it even got a mention in the actual uh, presentation itself. Over on Nine Now, the first run rights of Chucky, the TV series. And much like any parenting TV shows, that's certainly not one I think I'll be watching just based on my personal tastes. Coming up next, radio ratings move into the modern age with a new hybrid system. Radio ratings are changing. This week, Commercial Radio Australia announced the rating system would be moving away from the sole reliance on paper diaries and towards a new hybrid methodology. The incoming Radio 360 system will include a mix of listeners wearing an electronic watch meter, while paper diaries will begin to be phased out in favour of e-diaries. Live streaming data will also be integrated into the multi-million dollar system. The paper diary system has been long criticised. Uh, just how criticised? Take a listen to this opinion from Hard Hat founder Dan Monheit at Mumbrella 360 in 2017. Let's spare a thought for the almost 12,000 participants out there completing radio surveys. In 2017, you guys are already laughing because you know how this happens, <laughs> right? These guys are with nothing more than good intentions, a paper diary, ballpoint pens, and fucking stickers. Right? These poor guys and girls just trying to help us all find a fair price for running an ad during the Carl and Jackie O show are required to manually fill out this paper diary every 15 minutes for an entire week. That is over 400 manual entries per participant. And what is even crazier, yes, crazier than stickering your workbook in peak hour traffic <laughs> right, with no incentive is that the industry openly acknowledges that this is a memory test. People ask what they remember listening to. I don't even remember my kids' birthdays, right? (laughs) These metrics are driving $1 billion of advertising spend in this country. What the fuck is going on here? (laughs) Can you feel the extra hand in your underpants? Total (laughs) fucking bullshit. Xander, so the paper diaries are gone, kind of. What's the deal there? Yeah, so it it is a big shake-up that's been announced. 
uh, just how big it's it's going to be phased in over over the next little while. This year, what we'll see is is paper diaries begin to be phased out in favour of e diaries. That's the first step, and the results of of that will actually be seen from next survey results just two weeks from now. And then from next year, as you mentioned, the watches are back. Yes, the watches are back. Uh, the watch meters will be worn by two thousand people next year throughout the uh, rating seasons, um, and they will they will be able to recognise when the wearer is within listening range of a radio broadcast. Now, we do know that the watchers have had issues before during trials in terms of picking up ambient listening, so it'll be interesting to see how they go when they come in. And then after they come in as well, there'll be live streaming data added to the equation too. Now, I know Tim has already done some analysis on this, and yes, the changes will be gradual, absolutely. Uh, ostensibly, you still have a sample size of 60,000 people trying to remember what they listened to in 15-minute increments throughout the day. But what I think shouldn't be overlooked is that just the sheer intent to actually make a change is a pretty big step for GFK. Previously, the, they really stuck by their methodology and they have done trials, but simply recognizing the need for change is a pretty big step in the right direction. And now, Damo, before you or Tim accuse me of drinking the GFK Kool-Aid, there are some pretty important reasons, I think, for a slow transition here, at least as at uh, CRA Chief Executive Joan Warner explained to me when we spoke on the Mumbrella cast that went out earlier this week. She made pains to say that Commercial Radio Australia were determined not to do what the TV industry did in the 2000s and flip a switch overnight and completely shake up the status quo. And and there are several reasons for that. And obviously, you know, it it will be a big change and, and, and the radio networks are on board with this change. So it's unsurprising that it's going to be a slow transition period. The other, the other reason why it's going to be slow is, is mixing recall with electronic data is actually a world first for radio. It's an incredibly complex process. And, and also joining me on the podcast was GFK Australia New Zealand uh, Managing Director, Dr. Morton Boyer, uh, who, who really made a big deal about how complex it will be. And look, maybe we'll look back at the final results next year once everything has come in and decide the whole thing wasn't worth it. Um, but I think there is plenty to be gained for advertisers here um, as well with when the streaming data comes in, and this is something that wasn't really made a big deal of in the announcement, there will then be industry-recognized streaming data with you know granular data for agencies to really drill down into that has been endorsed by, by GFK and CRA, and that's something that doesn't currently exist. So it's absolutely a start, and it will be very interesting to see how it goes. Yeah, look, I'm not going to suggest that you're drinking the GFK Kool-Aid just yet, Xander, but I would suggest that uh, it's taken a long, long time to get to this stage, uh, complex or, or not. You've got to start at some stage. Uh, so, Tim, the question I'll ask you is, of what was announced is this genuine change or is this just something dressed up to seem like genuine change? Well, firstly, let's let's go about 18 years. That was when I was editing Media Week in the UK and we wrote about this new thing that was being introduced, GFK smartwatches to, uh, to measure audience. Now, in that case, it was actually, it was a rogue currency. So one of the uh, talk stations didn't like the rating they were getting through the old system. So they, they commissioned GFK to do their own, their own data, which was very lucrative for Media Week because they used to take out full page ads to, um, to, to, to then publish that data. Um, but 
it, you know, it was a signal that there was more than a diary system around. Um, one of the things to remember about this first stage is it's still a diary system. Yes, people are, you know, flouncing about wearing watches, but none of those watches in the first system will actually drive the number that derives the ratings. The only difference is slightly fewer people will be using paper-based diaries and slightly more people will be using electronic diaries. It will still be about people remembering uh, what it was they listened to. Now, there are pros and cons of that. You know, the the kind of biggest dis- potential disadvantage is, you know, if you were kind of rushing to fill out your diary at the end of the week, could you accurately say what you've been listening to every 15 minutes? You know, that's... Um, that's the big challenge. Um, the plus, though, is if you do remember, it probably means that you absorbed it. As um, as Xander was saying, I, I I wrote about it on Made, and um, uh, John Grono, the um, uh, probably the you know certainly one of the the top top couple of uh, research experts on media in Australia, threw in a comment where he made the point that there, as he puts it, there's an important difference between hearing and listening hearing's a limbic function and listening is a cognitive function in other words you know if you're actually listening then you're absorbing the message which for advertisers is what they want so that that is the argument for the diary but um you know clearly the idea with the smartwatches is in time there they're, they're capable of capturing um capturing capturing additional listening um minutes um or just stuff where just people didn't realize or didn't remember that they were doing but the point is yes we're starting to roll in this direction but it's been so long and it's not yet an unstoppable force there's nothing that says at the end of the next six months the watches then don't start feeding in but but it is it's it you know it's a really pragmatic way of doing it because it does, you know, if they gradually blend the the data, then you won't have a massive bump in the change in the ratings. And that was the that that was the thing that scared everyone about Oztam was um, nine suddenly saw their ratings fall through the floor. David Leckie was in charge at the time, you know, Ida was already falling out with Kerry Packer, and it was arguably the final straw. And nine got incredibly angry. You know, it's it's interesting reading Ian Muir's book, who was was is another one of the great Australia's great media researchers. He talks about that period, and it was vicious. There was court stuff. You know, there was stuff in the newspapers about it. Um, you know, people were incredibly angry, and it was very stressful for everyone concerned. So, you know, people don't always play that nicely when their their position in the market is is, is challenged. So that will be the big question: is if the numbers for some stations shift, how do they react to that point? Speaking of numbers shifting, we did see the first Triton digital podcast ranking report using its updated methodology uh, recently. And uh, most importantly, that was switching from downloads to listens as the basis for the rankings. Um, were there any shocks in, in the first rounds? Uh, you know, do we learn anything a, a bit different from that? Uh, Xander, I might start with you on, on how you uh, saw that first round of new methodology rankings. Yeah, absolutely. I, th- I think this was a really important change to be made to the Australian Podcast Ranker, which has, as I have been reporting on for several years, irked the likes of people who are more pure podcasters. Uh, the reason for that 
is because Radio Catch-Up podcasts have dominated the ranker because loyal listeners download every day. And, and also, after a little while, the networks cottoned on to the fact that it was really just a numbers game. They worked out that they could upload the full show, plus a highlights reel, a special clip, a shortened version or whatever, and it would just generally trans- translate to being higher on the ranker. Uh, so as predicted, radio podcasts did suffer. Uh, not to single them out particularly, but as an example, Kate, Tim and Joel and formerly Kate, Tim and Marty have generally performed pretty well on the ranker since it started. Now, on the ranker that came out this week, they were at number 68, even though they had 400,000 monthly downloads. That's a lot of downloads. Looking further up the ranker, an example of News Corp Australia's From the Newsroom, that was up at number 18 and only had 330,000 monthly downloads, but way more listeners. Um, and it was a similar story across most radio catch-ups. There were a few other things to take away. Firstly, Carl and Jackie O were still in the top 10 at number seven despite a little haul, a little fall. So they're really the only one that is bucking the trend in terms of radio catch-ups really suffering. Um, the other interesting one is that Hamish and Andy are Australia's undisputed number one podcast, no matter what metric you use. Just under 919,000 monthly listeners, also the most downloads with over 2 million, um, despite only releasing four episodes in the month. By way of comparison, the Carl and Jackie O show had 121 episodes. Yet, yes, 121 episodes of their podcast in the month of reporting. So what that means is they're putting out about five or six different pieces of audio content uh, around each episode, which counts as separate podcasts on the ranker. So if you, if you sort of extrapolate that to what all of the radio networks have been doing, you can see why the ranker has really been pissing podcasters off. Um, and And I think that this is definitely a much more usable metric moving forward, despite the fact that Carl and Jackie O are still doing really well. So fair play to them, I guess. Hey, Tim, you had uh, some very interesting thoughts on that as well, which you shared uh, on unmade.media also, but uh, probably a good time to rehash some of those here. Yeah, um, I think perhaps as as Xander says, yeah, the, the, the fair thing is that you know, when we're when we're ranking people in order, they're now ranked by the number of listeners rather than the number of downloads. So that yeah, that game of providing multiple downloads is discouraged. Um but the big question for me is a monthly listener is not what you would think of as a listener. Uh and a big part of that is is just some of the problems in getting to the real information because you know, Apple isn't, for instance, which is one of the main podcast um, machines, the the iPhone, is not particularly transparent. So what you can't actually tell is how many people listened to the podcast after it was downloaded. So there's much, the, the, there was much made in the announcement from Triton that we're following the IAB Tech Lab guidelines. Um, this is the, uh, the IAB in the US. Um, so I did go and then dig out those guidelines and really there really it's a long list of how hard it is to actually work out how many people are listening to a podcast. Um, so it, it talks through some things you can rule out, like, you know, if someone's only downloaded the first minute of um, some content, then clearly they'd not listened to the whole thing. But what you don't know for sure is have they actually listened to it after, after they downloaded it. So that, that for me is the, the big question, you know, I'm not, you, you know, there's a danger of drawing too many conclusions from your own behavior, but I know I'd, 
I'll mostly, if I see something when I'm on Wi-Fi that I might want to listen to later, I'll just hit download there and then. Um, and I won't necessarily get round to listening to it, but I will probably still in this data count as a listener. Um, so if we're trying to get the, the state of, of, of podcasting as a commercializable medium, then what it suggests is even with those numbers, you know, where we're, where if I remember rightly, it came to 49 million downloads in the end for, you know, for the month. If you think about the advertising on that versus the sheer number of minutes there are on television or radio, that means podcasting is still quite small in the scheme of things. Um, growing fast, but, you know, a, a long way from being able to make an easy living from it. But potentially still quite lucrative uh, for niche uh, podcasters, perhaps something I know you were talking about uh, previously in Unmade as well, um, and something I guess the hey the publishing industry, particularly magazines, has been great at, at talking that up the the niche connection and the value of, of the reader in that case. Uh, is that genuine here? The the niche connection yeah, to I listeners. Mean- the example I used when I wrote about it on Unmade was the Fear and Greed podcast, which is presented by Sean Almer, former bigwig at the Australian Financial Review. And it's a daily roundup of financial news. So if you're a bank or investment company or something, you can see why that might be attractive uh, to an advertiser who wants to talk to that niche audience. So I, that, you know, most of the podcasts in that top 100 are more generalist than that. So probably can bring in a, a a lower, you know, usually it's not actually bought on a CPM basis, but if you were, we were doing the equivalent on a lower CPM, so um, yeah, I I think probably that you know the, the 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 people selling niche probably have a little bit of an advantage. And yeah, Tim, they they are definitely some interesting questions, and 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 some that I put to you know the the leaders of Australia's radio networks, those that you know cover the podcasting I've side. I've, I've been speaking with ARN, SCA, Nova, and also some of the smaller players in, including Schwartz Media and, and Acast and that sort of thing. So um, stay tuned to to a feature that I've got coming out next week on on podcasting and monetization in Australia. Coming up next, Xander chats with QMS Media's Gemma Enright. This week's Mumbrella Cast is brought to you by Sesame. If you're drowning in a sea of Insta Reels and HTML5 content, you need Sesame. With Sesame, you create and share branded content in seconds. It's marketing magic. Go to sesame.com. That's S-E-S-I-M-I.com. I'm Xander Wilson, and joining me for a chat on this week's MumbrellaCast is Gemma Enright, General Manager of City of Sydney at QMS Media. Gemma, thanks so much for coming on the pod. Thanks, Xander. Great to be here. So first things first to start with, um, you're, you're in that role that I've just mentioned there started back in May. I imagine that probably when you started then, you would have hoped that by now, you know, the rollout of the QMS assets for City of Sydney might have been in full swing. But obviously with COVID delaying shipping and construction and, and other delays, um, you know, that, that hasn't been the case. How have you dealt with sort of the setbacks and delays so far from, from your position? Yeah, so 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 that's right. There have been a few delays um, with COVID, but uh, I think 
you know, the, the scale of this project um, is means that there is a lot going on um, regardless of the delays. We're in constant contact with the market about that. And what's encouraging is that the market has been incredibly um, gracious uh, in their understanding of the kind of conditions that, that we're facing at the moment and why some of those delays have happened. Um, so, look, it's all, all guns blazing at QMS, both on, you know, bringing the new infrastructure to market which, as you can appreciate, is an enormous undertaking um, and the team is making fantastic progress there. But equally on the sales side, there is an enormous amount um, to achieve before we, we go live and we, we bring the offer to the market. We're spending a lot of time talking to the market. Um, so that time, that extra time has been fantastic because it's given us that opportunity, certainly for myself, to connect with key people in the market, understand what they need so that when we do bring the offer, it really hits home and it's really relevant. Yeah, definitely. And I'll dive into a few questions about, you know, the sales side of things in a little bit. Um, just in terms of the current timeline, um, you know, we'll see the bus shelters begin to come in in November and then in chaos transitioning uh, early next year, just for anyone that's not up to date on that. But but the good news, obviously, is that, you know, the rollout of the bins and benches and, and you know, the start of things is, is kicking off this week. Is it finally, is it a bit of a relief to actually be able to actually kick off some of the physical aspects of it? It absolutely is. And I will say there's no advertising on the seats and spins. That's really important to point out. Um, (laughs) (laughs) We are more excited about the bus shelters and the kiosks coming in. But, yeah, getting out of the gates is a really important milestone and it does sort of give not only um, our business a lift but really, you know, helps build the anticipation in market that this thing is coming and it is going to be fantastic. So good to see and we are ramping up um, and it really won't be long before we start to see these um, beautiful um, new um, bus shelters and kiosks hit, hit our streets. Yeah, and I understand, you know, a lot, a lot more of the assets will be digitised compared to the current collateral that's out there. Um, are there any exciting aspects of that that you can sort of go into here ahead of, ahead of them rolling out? Yeah, if I can just talk about that in its own right for a second first. Um, so you're right, there'll be uh, 70% of the, the panels will be digital, which means 90% of the inventory will be digital. I think that's been something that, um, you know, has been on my radar as a significant change in, in the um, whole structure around this network, if you like. There'll be 10 times the digital in this network than there was before. And importantly, we are bringing digital to uh, the whole geography of City of Sydney, not just the 2000 postcode. So the City of Sydney isn't just the CBD, and that's a really important thing that people understand. It's 10 distinctive precincts that sit around the CBD and 33, uh, arguably, of some of Sydney's most desirable suburbs. So it's a big location and it will all enjoy the benefit of uh, the digital advertising network. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and during the time, you've obviously been working closely with the the guys at City of Sydney, um, despite delays and other challenges. How, how has it been to working with them? Um, obviously, you guys have pretty much, you know, you've got a lock in that you're on the same page with everything. And, you know, have, have they been understanding and they've been good to work with? 
They've been absolutely fantastic to work with. Uh, one of the things that uh, I think has excited me about joining QMS and working um, with the City of Sydney on this is their really compelling strategy. So, you know, we talk about the Sustainable 2030 vision, uh, which is, you know, has a lot of ambitious um, strategies within it. And I think it's those things that QMS really connected strongly with and things that I'm talking to uh, our advertising partners and, and clients about because they're things that brands really care about as well. So things like sustainability and green, things like innovation, things like community connection and just having that relationship with the city which is building uh, just to get that flow of information and find those connection points between the city and what we're trying to do has been fantastic and they've been very forthcoming with helping us understand all the aspects of that. Yeah, and and something that you mentioned as well uh, earlier, you know, c- coming into the project, the things that you ex- that excited you about it. Obviously, the role that you're in now is not one that previously existed at QMS. Um, uh, what initially drew you to, to to the project and 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 your interest in the role? Yes, so as you know, I did step out of the advertising industry for a little while, um, and I and I stepped into the uh, startup space, mostly in the fintech space. So I've loved loved that. Um, but in that um, journey, working in marketing roles and innovation roles, and certainly working at the inception of ideas and concepts and bringing those to market, and I think. This role at QMS has many of the ingredients that I've loved in my startup sector because it is like a blank piece of paper in a way to build something from the ground up, something that's digital and tech enabled, um, something that, um, you know, is really bringing uh, something new and state of the art to the market. It, It feels very much aligned with the things that I love. Yeah, for sure. Um, and and one of the things we do know uh, coming up to the, to the big rollout is that QMS has been in market for, for launch partners for all the new assets. And you did mention that earlier, you know, there's been a lot of work on the sales side of things. Um, in, in the most recent update we got from QMS in, in August, it was revealed that, you know, over 30 brands had expressed interest in coming on board. What's the latest update you can give there? And, and can you reveal who any of the launch partners will be? Yes, yeah, so we've continued to have conversations since that release. So um, we are expanding the list of brands who who uh, really want to see the partnership proposal when it when it's ready, um, and we're targeting October for that. Um, I can't tell you any of the specifics on the brands because, as you appreciate, it is commercial in confidence. But what I can say is uh, that we've had such a great response from so many different categories across the industry. So from the finance to the uh, automotive category, from the FMCG category, certainly the streaming and entertainment um, category has been really uh, keen to have a look at this. So nearly every category we've engaged multiple brands within that so we're really confident that when we bring our partnership proposal to market and and we are building it to be a compelling offer that we'll get the response um, from those brands that that we really need. Yeah absolutely I mean and I've been covering you know the outdoor industry uh, for, for a little while now. And one, one of the common narratives I've sort of seen chatting with people at various companies this year is, is you know, um, with, with digital becoming a much bigger part of what companies are able to offer, uh, what that's sort of resulting in is, is you know, brands and, and companies that, that might not 
have treaded into the space previously uh, becoming interested. Are you seeing that as well during this process that, you know, companies that might not be traditionally associated with with outdoor advertising are, are, are becoming interested? Look, I think there's general, um, you know, increased interest across the market because, as you point out, I mean, the opportunities of, digi- of digital are great. Um, the digital um, and the data in combination together um, really enhances the ability for a brand to get closer to the customers that they really need. So with that, you can assume that there's more effectiveness in in using the medium. But also the, the fact that you can do things interestingly with creative as well. And I think that's really enticing brands, um, you know, the ability to um, look at different parts of the day and and do things differently that way or look at different parts of the schedule um, and execute really specific strategies for that. Um, So we're absolutely seeing that interest in digital across the board and, and, and the way that advertisers are joining that up with some of their other digital strategies. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And if you sort of had to give a message to advertisers and marketers who who might not have been in the space before or, or might be considering, you know, whether they're becoming launch partners or, or sort of getting involved with you guys in City of Sydney, I mean, if you had to have a message for them, uh, uh, what, what, what would it be? So I think um, what we are intending to do with the City of Sydney, um, joining up that data and that digital capability, is I think you can expect to see that there are new and interesting ways that you can utilise the network for your brand so that any objective that you have and many different budget levels can be really well serviced by the City of Sydney Street Furniture Network. So expect to see when we come out um, more diversity in the different packs that you can buy through the City of Sydney, so not just Um, you know, very rigid broadcast packs, but we're looking to use the new data sets that we will have available as Dynamic 2.0 comes to market later in the year to build really interesting um, and curated ways that that brands can tap into the city of Sydney. So I think it's going to give, you know, more brands, more choice and more opportunity to do things that really do drive return on investment and effectiveness for their brand. Yeah, definitely some really exciting opportunities. Um, and and looking forward to the rest of the year, I, I, I just wanted to ask, you know, obviously with uh, out out of home really quite closely linked to foot traffic and 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 other other aspects, you know, it, its success is really, um, you know, pretty contingent on on you know the city opening up. How much of a relief is it for you now knowing that there is a roadmap for New South Wales and for Sydney, and and that you know you know you will see that foot traffic and all those other aspects, you know, really rebound over the next few months and into twenty twenty two as well. It's obviously incredibly reassuring, and in some ways, while we do have um, some delays that have happened, um, we're, we're quietly. Um, happy that really our big push to market when we go live with transactional and campaign-based selling, it will be April, it will be when we expect, you know, critical massive inventory to have rolled out and it will certainly be when we expect to see audiences come back um, to meaningful levels in and around the CBD and the City of Sydney. 
Um, so I think that that's a really good point that, that you make. And we're, we're obviously watching closely when uh, COVID lockdowns hit. You know, we're looking across our whole portfolio, to be honest, on what the impact of those lockdowns are on audience. And what we've been able to do is use our own um, dynamic data set to very closely follow where audience are as or where audiences drop off during lockdowns, but importantly, how quickly audiences bounce back after lockdowns. And so what we're seeing is, and I think the longer the lockdowns go on, we're seeing faster and faster bounce backs in people wanting to come back out and, and you know, resume a, an element of normality. So we're really confident that, you know, the community has had, enough of lockdowns and is really keen to get back to their normal lives, including their workplaces within the CBD. We absolutely think there'll be more flexibility around that because I think, you know, we're all accepting that, that, that there is some change, but certainly we'll see big scalable audiences come back to those CBD locations. Yeah, and and you mentioned there the flexibility. Um, do you, do you think that we'll see a higher uptake of of perhaps sort of shorter term packages and that sort of thing rather than brands going, okay, I want to lock in for you know a multi year deal and stuff like that. I'm not sure about that. Like I, th- I think there are still brands who will entertain longer term commitments. And one thing we should clarify is the partnerships, the launch partnerships that we're pursuing for the City of Sydney are absolutely about longer term partnerships. So they're really built on the basis that we're giving a certain amount of brands first access to the network in exchange for making a significant commitment to the City of Sydney into 2022. And that will unlock an enormous amount of value and, you know, really, you know, advantage in terms of preferential rate position, et cetera. But what we will say on the, um, you know, the, I guess, um, the need for advertisers to feel confident about making those big long-term commitments, one of the things that's impressed me about QMS is how on the front foot they have been in terms of offering audience guarantees and being incredibly... um, flexible um, and adaptable as uncertainty hits, uh, really to work with brands and ensure that they they do get what they pay for, even if timings need to shift and move. And that'll be no different when we bring the City of of Sydney to market. We will still be offering um, that level of flexibility should any uncertain situations arise through the year. Yeah, definitely, and and one of the things I wanted to uh, touch on as well, you mentioned there the 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 learnings you've been able to take and the metrics um, that you guys have, the data you have, where you you know you see those those numbers really in terms of foot traffic rebound really quickly after lockdowns and and all those sorts of things. Late next year, early the year after, we'll we'll see the industry transition to move two as well. How important will it be for the industry as a whole to have that? Um, agreed upon metric for digital out of home and and do you think that that will you know help grow especially digital significantly moving forward into the next five ten years absolutely it is so important I think that's one thing we can all sit here and be certain of that we need it I think in the process of doing um, a lot of the work around the city of Sydney we've spent a lot of time talking to the market Um, to understand how they're really assessing out of home. You know, how are they going to be um, looking at the City of Sydney offer versus other offers? Um, And again and again, that frustration comes up that they need 
they need to see that um, consistency in measurement and that accuracy in measurement. So we all know that. That's, that's very important. I think what's, be, what's been very encouraging is the fact that the industry is collaborating well together um, behind the uh, OMA, um, you know, there's a number number of companies that have, you know, the strong um, intention to, to get this done and to get it done really quickly and as quickly as it can. I think we have to appreciate that it is an enormous undertaking to, and it, and it has some complexities. And if you look at uh, some of the other uh, media categories, radio, television. It's, it all takes time to get the, the systems in place to measure digital in an effective way. Um, but we will get there. And when we do get there, it'll be fantastic because I think you, you will see that digital fares very well. Uh, in the City of Sydney context, we're very heavily pedestrian. Um, so we will we'll probably fare very well in that as well. Um, and of course, you know, the added impact of um, what we're seeing coming through the neuro studies and the neuro factor as well, we'll just continue to showcase how powerful digital out of home really is. So um, absolutely it's important. We will get there. We need to be a bit patient, but it'll be fantastic when it, when it arrives. Yeah, absolutely. Plenty to look forward to over the next, you know, year or two, and and really excited to see, you know, the the bus shelters and everything else roll out from QMS across the city of Sydney. Um, anyway, Gemma Enright, thank you so much for taking the time on the podcast today. Thank you, Xander. Pleasure to talk to you. That's it for this week. Thank you, Tim, Xander, and Cal for joining me. Thank you, Damo. Thank you. Thanks, Damo.